0: Actually, no no, no. no, no. Okay. that is the coolest kit for any guitar in the world. It will kill me if I walk over a bit. <laughs> Thanks for moving that um, Before I get into things um, just want to just take a moment in prayer there's a couple in real need at the moment um, they're trying to sell their home. And today, this morning, they've got an open home. Um, I want to pray for them, and I would love for you guys to join me in prayer. Um, yeah, for some of us, buying and selling a home is trivial, but it's very stressful. Um, and, you know, yeah, we come together and we lift our people up, and that's what I want to do this morning. So I just want to pray for them. Let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you for your provision and all that you do in our lives, Lord. But I just want to lift up. This family to you, Lord, as they struggle, have been struggling to sell their home. This morning they've got an open home, Lord. I pray I pray that you can bring uh, to a point of resolution here for them. Peace in their hearts, that they're able to sell their place and move on. We lift them up to you. We lift up their hearts to you. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit just fill their hearts with your peace. We pray this in the name of our Saviour, our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody hears that. Amen. 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 Um, Thank you, John, for the comment about the football. Um, It was a lot of fun, except I'm not sure Jack was all that happy to have an an Italian on the sideline yelling out a lot. Um, um, If you ever go to watch a rugby match, it's really interesting to see when Kiwis say they're not very emotional, but take them to a rugby match, and they very much are. Um, We Italians are the same when it comes to football. (laughs) Um, But it was a lot of fun. Uh, on the morning there so yeah thank you for that um, so um, this sermon <laughs> this sermon um, I, I always find it interesting how God works with me uh, in particular you know I usually come to writing a sermon full of enough confidence of having written many many sermons but every time he seems to bring me to my knees and as much as I can think of number of people I could direct this sermon to, it always ends up being directed to me. You know, <laughs> without a doubt, inevitably, I've got to look at it and say, oh, okay, this morning's sermon this is going to be a hard one. It's going to be challenging. So I'm going to ask you all to fasten your seatbelts, stow away your tray tables, everything like that, and get your sauce ready because we're strapping in and we're taking off. Good? Okay, so this is an old... Pastor I worked with, actually the first pastor I ever worked with, his name's Rob Silver. That um, you know, was our leadership team on the right there. We uh, planted a church, well, he planted a church in West Dapto. West Dapto, a neighborhood church. It was a Baptist church. Uh, if you don't know where Dapto is, it's just south of Wollongong. Uh, anyone who follows rugby league, the St. George Dragons, they have two bases, one in St. George and one in Wollongong. It's just south of Wollongong. There was a new community that sprung up, and they opened up a community centre, and Rob jumped in with a crew and planted a church there. That really did take off. Um, Rob had been a Baptist pastor for many, many years, and at that time I was at the University of Wollongong uh, studying, and a friend of mine, John, who was working with Rob, roped me into this, or roped us, because Monica came along. And at that time, when we first started, there was just two little kids, um, and. It was an amazing work. And you know what it's like when it comes to stuff like this. When you look back at these things, you think, oh, it was amazing. We had a great time. We can't replicate the the fellowship at the time that we had. Um, Yes, it was a great time, but it was also very difficult. Church plants are always difficult. Mainly because you walk into them thinking it's going to be easy. But they're not. And Rob really struggled with this. Uh, the church really did take off. It really did do some great things. A lot of good works in the community, all that kind of stuff. A lot of people saved. It was amazing. But it took its toll on Rob. And I remember one day we were starting. I, 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 was, I came on board to, to run the youth. And then while there, they put me into the worship team. I've told you the story of what happened with that worship team. If you remember, if you don't, go back to hearing some of the old sermons because I always repeat my stories. I'm sorry. Um, and at one stage we had a good group of young adults and we thought, oh, let's start a young adult Bible study group. So we started that. And I got Rob to come for the first night that we were meeting together. It was a suburb of Wollongong called Balgownie. And it was a cool night. And we did the study and all. It was great, a wonderful night. There must have been about a dozen young adults there. And the church size that was amazing. And what we were doing it was crazy. Came down on a real high. And Rob had driven me to Balgani, and he was going to drive me back home, and we got to the car, and Rob broke down. Like, literally broke down, in tears. And, you know, I'm kind of awkwardly standing next to him going, was it that bad? What's going on? What's what's up, Rob? I've had enough. It, there was just pain in his voice. You know, this is 20. Three years ago, there was pain in his voice. And I, naive as I am, didn't know what to say. And the pain, and it just all tumbled out. And any of you who have been a pastor will understand exactly what he's feeling, because we've all felt it as pastors. But he just, 30 years, I've been slaving it 30 years, I've been working my backside off for these people. Everything. And you do one thing that they perceive as wrong, and bang, they slam you. And I'm just sitting there going, what is going on? And he just kept going going. And he's crying while he's talking. And so I just kind of went up to him. And as he was going through this, I could, for the second time in my life, audibly hear God. And I got really excited, which was really not appropriate in the moment. But I got excited. I said, God, you're cool. And I'm like, Rob, Rob. And he's like, what? I can hear God. And he's like, okay. What's he saying? That I need to be doing what you're doing. And he goes, haven't you heard a word that I've been saying up until now? He goes, "And, and with all seriousness, he looked at me in the face, he goes, they crucified Jesus what do you think they're gonna to do to you and it didn't dawn on me it didn't it was, I was just so excited to hear the poor you know I was last year of medical science at the University of Wollongong I was going to go home to tell my wife I'm gonna finish this off I'm gonna go and do another three or four years of study at Bible College and then we're gonna live on our study which is basically nothing <laughs> for the next three or four years and actually, that worried me more than anything else, right? It was funny, because when I did get home, and I told Monica, I sat her down, and you know, she started getting tenser and tenser, like, what are you going to say? And I said to her, well, this is what I'm going to do. And she just looked at me, she goes, well, it's about time. <laughs> Man, how are they always a step ahead of us? <laughs> um, this was just before we moved to New Zealand, um, about 13-odd years ago, that photo on the, your left. Um, Rob passed away three years after that photo he, he got um, he got cancer and they literally gave him just a couple of weeks what, was a, what he thought was an innocent cough turned out to be something a lot worse and so I, I hitched up on a flight, got over and we sat in the hospital <laughs> and um, you know, he was still we talking and there, there was a lot of laughter as much as there could be and, and he said to me, do you remember what I told you And I said, yeah, I understand. (laughs) You know, I understand what you meant. I know, I I understand. And he goes, Rob, yeah, that's exactly what I wanted you to understand at the time because I was hurt. But now I'm going to see Jesus and it doesn't matter. The only thing is being obedient to the call. And the last couple of months I've been struggling with those words. What does it mean to be obedient to the call? It's hard not to take things personally. And I'm Italian, so I take everything personally. I know that. But it's still hard. And Paul, as he's writing to the Galatians, is most probably feeling a little bit like Rob Silver. What is going on with you people? He spent a good five chapters in this book trying to... What are you guys doing? Almost thinking... By the way, this is not the most difficult sermon of the series. Andrew Barsley, I believe, had the hardest sermon of the series, and he skillfully worked through it. Go back and listen to it. But this is part two, because it's Paul coming to the conclusion. He's coming to the end, and he's dealing with basically two types of people. He's dealing with the the grace people, the live and let live people. We're really just kind of like yeah don't don't judge don't do this. we're all good you do your thing i do my thing. we'll get to these boys in a moment but then there's these guys on the other end which he spends most of his time on because this is a problem in galatia the law people who are wanting to tell you what should be and what should be done and how it should be done and he's dealing with these two types of people which actually We deal with them today, here in our church, 2,000 years later. The same problems Paul faced back then, we are still facing today. The grace people, the Lord people. And the passage I start with is really interesting because it's verse 6. It seems like it comes out of nowhere. After all that he's been saying about circumcisions and this and that and the law and all this, he hits us with this interesting verse. He says, nevertheless... The one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. And you're like, Paul, where did that come from? <laughs> what are you going on about here? I thought we were dealing with this whole law grace thing. I thought we were dealing with what freedom in Christ means. What, what's this all about? I'm going to touch on it a little bit, but it's important to touch on it. Because there is a bit of a movement of late where and it's a good movement. Don't tell me. they get me wrong. The, this whole home church movement is is wonderful. It, it, you know, in my lifetime as a minister, it's happened about four or five times where this big whole thing about let's start a home church, and we don't have to worry about buildings, and we don't have to worry about paying staff, and we don't have to worry about all this stuff. We can really do the mission of God. Yeah, but what happens? Life. So Paul is challenging the church in Galatia. Uh, F.F. Bruce, in his commentary, he says this, The teacher relieves the ignorance of the pupil, and the pupil should relieve the teacher of concern for his substance. Kind of weird that I'm preaching on this being the teacher. Scott McKnight takes it a little bit deeper. He says, Here we find that teachers work full-time in the ministry, so that they can study and teach effectively, and they were apparently being disrespected to the church and the Christian community, to the degree that their students were not taking care of them. And I'm not just talking about maybe the one pastor. I'm talking about the leadership of a church who are set aside to do a task, a job. And for some, we pay. What is Paul going on about? Why has he done this about term? What, what's he trying to do here? He's highlighting another problem with the Galatians by not really resolving the last problem. He's just throwing it out there. But if you see the lead up, if you see what's going on, in the few verses before, he talks about you guys, you the Galatians, we the church, you need to walk by the Spirit. But not just walk by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. Hey, let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And what about we living by the Spirit? And then we need to keep in step with the Spirit. And hey, again, let's live by the Spirit. Do you think he's trying to get a point here? This is in a very short amount of verses. He's really starting to hit this hard. Really hard. I'm getting really hot up front here. Sorry. Lack of jacket and all. Thank you, pal. What does he mean by live by the Spirit? And why would you start about making sure your work is a pain? What does it mean? This is the passage that I'm entrusted with this morning. This is the message version. It says, don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit to the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So let us not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop. And if, if we don't give up, or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. That's all good, but what does doing good really mean? It's kind of like saying, "let's love. Everybody here has a different interpretation of what love is. Just as if I asked you, what does it mean to do good? We're all going to have a very different understanding of what that looks like. What does it mean to do good? You're talking to us about this whole spirit thing. Like the fruit of the spirit, that's all good and well, but what does the tree actually look like? Right? I can see the fruit, but what does the tree look like? How do I get there? Paul answers it. He actually takes pretty much the first 10 verses of chapter 6 and answers it. Live by the Spirit. Up until now, he is challenging us between flesh and spirit. Spirit and flesh. What's of the world and what's of God. Which, interesting enough, what's of the world is the law. Which is really interesting how he puts that in that category. And he says, what is of the Spirit? What is of God? What is of the Spirit itself? That's how you know to live by the Spirit. Okay, what does that mean? <laughs> Help me out, Paul. What does that mean? This is an apartment block in Prague, the Czech Republic, which is very similar to many apartment blocks dotted around Northern and Eastern Europe. As you can see, it's a square with a bit of an inside area where uh, there's trees sometimes, or there's grass or graveled area where the kids play. And your apartment sees the front and the back. So you see what's happening out the front of your house Or apartment and you can also look into the back of your apartment. Now the Northern and Eastern Europeans are really good because they keep things usually spotless and clean. Us Italians, well, you know, (laughs) that's what it looks like on the inside of most Italian uh, apartment blocks. You're kind of looking in and everyone's looking into each other. Um, It can feel claustrophobic. I'm using European examples. Uh, For those of you from Asia, you can understand this as well literally living on top of each other, but that's that's the way they live, right, and if you're from the UK, look, you, you understand what I mean, it's a little different, but it's just as congested, right, when you live like this, it's really hard to hide, it's really hard to close yourself off from everyone else, when I moved there and I was only 17 at the time, I moved to Rome. It was overpowering. My window looked out onto the neighbor's balcony. I could literally climb out of my window on the seventh floor and into their balcony, which had the kitchen there. I knew every night what they were eating. And sometimes wished I was in there too. I also knew every time they argued. I also knew what medications they took. I also know what TV shows they watched and some other things I really didn't want to know. It's hard, hard to hide in those environments. We live in a society today that makes it really easy to hide, really easy to put fences up and to keep our distances. When you live by the Spirit, It's an invasion. Our lives are invaded by everything that is Jesus, including his church. Take a look at this. This is going from verse 1 to verse 10. When you live in those close communities, (laughs) whether you like it or not, you are held accountable. If you get into a fight, everyone will know about it. And in Italy especially, they'll tell you about it. By the way, you were wrong with your wife last night. We heard everything. You're just being stubborn. Get over it. Move on. Really? No, but... And then you get in an argument with them, right? Um, And there is personal responsibility. You can't do anything without impacting the people around you. I love it in India. It's not a problem because everybody's making curry. But if you're in Italy and someone makes a curry, everyone's going to smell it. What is that? What are you doing? My mum made a curry once and the neighbour came knocking. What's that smell? (laughs) It's curry. What is it? Indian. Why are you doing it? It's good. Can I taste it? Sure, come in. But there is a personal responsibility to those around you. What you do impacts people. And living that close to people, you're going to be held accountable by them. They're going to call you out, whether you like it or not. In these verses, Paul goes through this interesting balance between mutual accountability and personal responsibility. Take a look. This is how he challenges these things that are going on in Galatia. He starts with the first verse. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by spirit should restore that person. gently. mutual accountability. Then the next verse. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Personal responsibility. Go on to the next part. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law. Mutual um, fulfill Christ, sorry. Mutual accountability. Next part. If anyone thinks they are something more, when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. But each should carry their own load. Personal responsibility. But wait. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Mutual accountability. Yeah. But wait. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to, to please their flesh, from their flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Personal responsibility. And then he ends it with mutual accountability. He is actually dealing with both these people. Both these groups, the law people and the grace people. He's saying, sure, grace covers you, but you still must live in mutual accountability. And over here he's saying, yeah, people need to be responsible. Absolutely. But you need to be responsible for yourself as well. It's fascinating, this kind of tussle between these two things. It's an interesting sway. It's what it means to live by the Spirit. Because if you live being personally responsible to God, while living in mutual accountability, that's what the tree looks like. Baker's uh, uh, commentary swapped it around a bit, and I thought I'd share that with you. He says it's corporate responsibility to each other and personal accountability to God, but it's the same point. He says, as Paul is talking here, he's talking about hey, yes, you need to hold each other accountable. That's how you grow. But at the same time, do not neglect the fact that you are also personally responsible. For God. The problem is one thing or another we've abused. Pastors in some churches are quite happy to hold everybody accountable. While most of us Baptists just like to think about personal responsibility and forget about the mutual anything. Scott McKnight puts it this way. Mutual accountability forces many of us to abandon our sense of being alone and forces us to reach out to others. It makes the neighbor stand up and say, I am truly a neighbor and must be neighborly. It makes the person abandon the natural modern impulse of letting all others do their own thing and pushes that person to invade another's life. I love that word, invade another's life. It forces the neighbor to allow his life to be open enough to others to be invaded. To be a neighbour in a genuine sense. It's this picture. That when God calls us to live as the church, to live like this. How do you feel like being invaded? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna put an extra foot up on that fence. We've got a neighbour who's who's very quiet, they do their thing, and, and you know we've introduced ourselves and, and they apologise to us and say, hey, Oh, we've got an autistic kid, and sometimes he yells and screams a lot. I said, yeah, don't worry. It's all good. Sometimes Monica and I yell and scream at each other. She <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you, and you smile and, and move on. And you wonder, what would life be like if you were in an apartment like that? What would it be like to live like that where there is no gap? There is no, I don't know how many feet, meters between us. If you have the spirit in you, you go and knock on the door. Can I help? What can I do to make life easier? Rather than shut up, put my uh, voice cancelling headphones on and move on. Os Guinness, in, in unpacking this verse, he says Some are saying that they're accountable to no one but God, that pastors have no rights inquiring into their past, their present all their plans for the future, that religion is exclusively a private matter like politics and sex, and that, since they stand before God alone, they are to live alone. But once again, we see an interpretation that is fundamentally sound at first, but one that goes astray because it neglects two things. The wider context where personal responsibility for God is surrounded by a mutual accountability and the way the Apostle Paul himself actually lived. It's true. She's with me. Paul lived exactly like this. The many times he tells his churches that he's planted that you need to be paying your people who work for you and you need to pay them. Well, he does it about half a dozen times. Uh, He doesn't take any money himself. The, The amount of times he tells them to pay your workers, the amount of times that he has said no to being paid. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, talking, he says, They, us, the church, you and me, must live responsibly before God in freedom, but with accountability to one another. They must confront one another because nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to his sin. Here's the problem, though. We have just completely reinvented what sin is. And so if it's just a misunderstanding or, you know, that's their deal or this is that and that's this, we'll just leave it at that. We won't confront it, because is it really sin? Is it really sin? Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. It is compassionate, and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Scott McKnight. In ending this passage in his commentary, he says this, these are Western problems that need to be faced. And the message of Paul, that is a message of mutual accountability that does not deny personal responsibility, and a personal responsibility that includes a mutual accountability, it stares our world in the face. And the only challenge I want to give that to, to, to Scott on this is it doesn't just stare the world, it stares the church in its face. Because we need to be leading this by example. Told you to fasten your seatbelts. It's a tough word. What does living in community actually mean? You know, it's interesting. I can I can define these two groups, right? The grace group, you know, they don't really want to confront anything. And generally they leave quietly, right? When they leave a church, they usually say a couple of things. They either say, uh, we're taking a break. Ah, that's personal. You know, if I told my wife I'm taking a break from our marriage. Why? That's personal. (laughs) I'm taking a break. Or, another thing they'll say is usually, Hey, uh, yeah, you you know, you're not fulfilling my needs. So we need to go elsewhere. That's what this group does. This group over here, (laughs) whoo! This group really tells you what they feel. Right? They've always got something to tell you. They're the ones that speak out at meetings. They're the ones that really slam you. There was one guy we had here. He was a lawyer. And he, I, I, he, <laughs> it was so discouraging to get an email from him. I'd see the email and be like, oh, because it will be two meters long. Pointing out everything I've done wrong and everything the church should be doing. And this is what should happen. This is what shouldn't happen. I've never had a coffee with a guy ever in my life. Never had the time to come and see me and have a chat. And when I told him that, he said, Well, that's my job to do, not his. You're really discouraged. These guys, when they leave, they leave with a bang. (laughs) They don't leave quietly. And sometimes it, 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 it splits. People get angry. It's quite confronting, isn't it? That's the two extremes. Let me just say some positive stuff. These guys here, grace is amazing. There's no two ways around it. And sometimes we do need to let people live their lives. Because they need to learn. And these people over here, you know what? Half the time they're right. The church needs to be doing a whole bunch of things that we're not doing. They are right. Yeah. I love that righteous anger. Go for it. Bring it out. But help us out. Help us out. There's a reason why pastors burn out all the time. A lot of it's because we're way too emotionally invested in this. Sorry. But it's the nature of it, right? And most of us who go to church aren't really emotionally invested in it. Whether it's a protection mechanism or whether we just don't take it too seriously. There's a song by the Cat Empire uh, and it's called misery A, which is a bad name for a song, I think. Kind sad. But it really, really unpacks these two groups. Really, really does. In such a way. It starts like this, it says, have you ever told a lie that was true more than truth? because truth and in and light all its life when it spoke to you. If you want to know where the world is at today, that's where they're at, by the way. Why don't I trust us Christians? That's where they're at. It's a powerful statement. You can dwell on that for hours. He goes on to say, talking about, you know, just uh, repeating. Oh, I skipped it. And what does this truth say? It is this, it is that. This goes here, here, is there. It is not. Yes, it is. It was dulling your senses, your eyes, they were bound. Have you ever, my friends, been looking around? And then I've got this group over here, he says, and the other replies with a wave of the hand, I'm already here in this promised land, not by God, not by a king, not by a spirit deep from within. I do it my way, whether you feature Whether you feature is just a fray. It's hard words, but, oh, it hits a nerve. Blinded on one side. Not really willing to face the tough things on this side. And this idea of living by the Spirit and mutual accountability and personal responsibility is hard. It's hard. It's hard. And the reason why I'm struggling with it is I need to learn how to live. Because sometimes I live way too much on this side. Sometimes I live too much on that side. But God wants me to live sometimes right here holding both. Right? Holding both. My appointment calendar on Friday, I only had one appointment. One that I was intentional to have. It just one hour appointment. Everything else was basically cleaned out on Friday thought I had to reflect a little bit more time on the sermon. Because I'd written it earlier in the week and a lot had happened from earlier in the week till that day. And I thought, oh, I really need to have a look at this again. That person I met with in that morning doesn't realise how much he spoke into my life. Two hours together. How I came away from that. But then God thought, Well oh, now you need another meeting <laughs> and out of the blue the chair of our elders pops up. I have a lot of sympathy for Carrie, by the way. A lot of sympathy for caring. <laughs> but that man doesn't realize how wise he is. And he allowed me to speak and throw up and throw some stuff down, walk quietly, calmly, and sometimes not so calmly, respond. And then after that, okay, my first meeting was, I don't know, was it 10 o'clock? I'm now at 12.30, and I'm about to get off from that meeting, and I get a call from Kathy Boyce who I haven't seen in a while. Oh, that's me. And an hour and a half later, I get off that meeting. And I'm like, okay, that's what it's all about, Lord. How do you hold the tension of grace and law? How do you get people to be accountable to each other, to us as a church? And how do you get people to be a little bit more personally responsible? How do we do this? I don't know. You know, some are really good at this. Some are really good at this. Let's work together. And what Paul is saying is neither this or this. It's both. What Paul is saying, maybe you've gone too far to the Galatians on this side. I think for us as a church, we've gone way too far on this side. Let's move this in together. How do we work this together? How do we hold each other accountable, while at the same time allowing it to be a personal responsibility before God? I don't know. I've been doing this for 25 years, and I'm still struggling with it. Can you help me? Hmm? Yeah. Cool. Yes. Uh, music to me. Oh, God. <sighs> Teach us, O Spirit, to live as the people you've called us to live. Teach us, O Lord, to be the people that you've called us to be. Teach us, O Lord, to hold when we need to hold, to let go when we need to let go. To call out when needs to be called out, to be convicted when we need to be May we, as your people, be a living example of your kingdom here on earth. May we be your church, Father. In Jesus' name. We're going to stand. So-